is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 205 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Michael Evans all about the creator economy and subscriptions for authors. But first, to last week's question, which was, what's the best talk you've ever watched? So Jen said, uh, TED Talks by Lisa Cron and Elizabeth Gilbert. And CJ said, um, one keynote that impressed me this year was from Reshma uh, Suarjani. I I've probably butchered that. I apologize. Uh, uh, And it was the Smith College commencement speech. That was easy for me to say this morning. Um, And CJ says, I was super impressed with her content, but also her delivery. Her pacing is really interesting, as is how she pauses between concepts in the narrative. So I am definitely going to go and check those out. And uh, it's still on my list to Google this week, but I will get to it. I will. uh, uh, I have to (laughs) very shortly. So this week's question is, what are you struggling with in your author business right now? Let me know uh, in the comments and yeah, that's the question of the week. Okay, the book recommendation of the week this week is A Kingdom of Stars and Shadows by Holly Renee. So in my travels, I have been reading lots of vampire fiction and I have noticed a real uh, stark difference between the more urban fantasy vampire fiction that's sort of set in our world um, and the vampire fiction that is secondary world. There didn't used to be very much of that at all and I think it is a growing uh, subsection niche of vampire fiction. Traditionally, most of, well, pretty much all of vampire fiction was some kind of urban setting in our real world. And we are seeing more and more vampires in fantasy worlds. So that's been really interesting for me. And I, uh, I know what I'm doing for this next series, but I think I want to do the other one at some point as well. So I, I think I have just decided I will be doing a second vampire series at some point. <laughs> okay. So I read A Kingdom of Stars and Shadows uh, on holiday and I read it, it was one of the ones that I binged in a day because it was very easy to read. It was like a simple uh, storyline and I don't, when I say simple, I don't necessarily, I don't mean that derogatory like in a derogatory way, it was a very good story. I couldn't put the book down, (laughs) but it wasn't a sweeping 500 page epic fantasy. You know, it was like, I don't know, 300 pages or whatever. But yeah, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Uh, There was smut in there, so of course I was going to enjoy it. There were vampires, fae. It was set in a secondary world, which so that was one of the reasons for the comment. So yeah, I recommend it. Nice, easy read. Okay, so in personal news and updates then, I am trying to adjust to this new world of having more time to write. And I think I more or less got there this week. I don't feel settled uh, in any way, shape or means. I did write 22,000 words though in the last week. So that's that's good. That's, uh, you know, at the moment... I'm trying, I still feel like I'm recovering from the mini um, exhaustion. I refuse to use the B word. Um, I do feel like I'm still recovering. Like I feel great, but you know, the the bone, the benefits of holiday only last so long <laughs> and they have gone. So I'm back to the throes of, you know, just daily drudgery and feeling tired. But I still feel like I'm carrying the weight of having been in an exhausted state for quite some time. 
So as a result of that, I'm trying not to go too nuts on the word counts. I'm trying to limit myself to 5,000 words a day. Um, and uh, so that is working more or less. And it, and it is an average, you know, there are some days where I do naturally just do a little bit more, uh, but then there are days where I do a little bit less. Like today, today is my admin day. So I will invariably do less words. What is very interesting is the shift in mindset where words now equal income. And, uh, you know, obviously I used to, I still have other forms of income, but the main bulk of the income is from words. So now creativity is forced and that that is a different feeling than what I had before. And it's a huge adjustment. In one way, it feels like there is a lot of pressure added to being creative. And I don't think creativity necessarily succeeds very well under those kinds of pressures. So on the one hand, it could be seen as unhealthy. But on the other hand, thank the many and varied gods, I am super competitive. So in a way, I feel like it's focusing my mind in a form that's never been like so focused before. I recognize now that words are legitimately my priority in a way that I would used to prioritize other things that shouldn't necessarily have been prioritized. But that was because I had a more varied portfolio. Obviously, I've sort of shrunk the income streams, which does then put more pressure on the creativity. Thankfully, I, I feel like I'm stepping up to that challenge. I definitely wobbled, if I'm honest with you. I definitely, that, that sort of first week, 10 days, I w questioned whether or not I'd done the right thing. I wasn't sure if I had the discipline. You know, I don't have discipline with a capital D in terms of strengths. I have lots of other strengths that can mimic that behavior, but I don't have discipline. And I was worried. I was, what if I can't do this? What if I can't find a way to structure my days? What if I don't, what if I make excuses and procrastinate? You know, I'm not that sort of person. And thank fuck after, a, you know, a week, 10 days of <laughs> honestly flailing, <laughs> <laughs> like a fucking fish out of water. Um, I think I have gotten to a point where even if I'm not settled and even if I still feel like I'm in transition, I guess the focus has locked on. And that has helped me uh, also because I'm, I've am i got gotten over the halfway point in my book and, uh, and, and I've gotten over the point where I stalled out in the original draft. So I now feel like I can get to the end. So that has really helped for this individual book. Whether or not that satisf satisfies the mindset long-term, I'm not sure. But it has been very interesting to feel this shift. And it's even things like, so I... <laughs> Nobody's going to be surprised now. But even going to boot camp... I would prioritize boot camp and I would prioritize smashing the shit out of myself physically uh, in order to be the best at boot camp. But the, the consequence of that is that words would suffer because I'd be exhausted, like not just mentally, but physically too. And it's taken sort of a conversation with my coach and also with Chloe and them sort of saying, you can't do that anymore. You have to prioritize words. And so now I'm like not smashing myself quite as much at boot camp because actually the priority in every working day is to get words. It isn't to smash myself to pieces in the gym. So I do feel like I'm going 
through this really big change mentally and also I feel like marketing is becoming easier as well because I it's it's a necessary now um I mean and I suppose the other thing is I always felt like I should market like as a priority whereas now I feel like words are the priority and that's so that is a huge shift it's not that I'm going to do less marketing I'm not I if anything I have more time therefore I'll do more marketing but in terms of the hierarchy I don't know whether this I don't know why I was in that mindset but I definitely would spend acres and acres and acres of time doing marketing and sometimes if I only had one block of time I would choose to market rather than to write but now (laughs) I am so not in that position now I'm like oh shit I need to write words because without a backlist I got nothing so yeah I don't know I just feel like I'm going through huge huge changes and the other thing oh yeah sorry this is turning into a really long intro but hey I like to tell you the things that I'm learning The other thing that I have realized is that I'm finding it easier to give myself the time to do the things that don't feel like work, but that are super important to getting the words. So for example, looking through coffee table books, um, spending time looking at the charts on Amazon, um, you know, creating images uh, for a mood board, uh, reading, for example, actually that one I'm still struggling with, if I'm honest, but um, I'm very good at creating reading lists. Um, But, you know, things like spending time doing character work, stuff like that, all of the things that I actually need to feed my creative brain in order to get the words suddenly feel acceptable to me to be doing and that's because words I have made words the priority therefore everything that goes into creating those words is also a priority and it just I don't understand what why it's taken me this long to shift into that mindset but there I am that is where I am so yeah what I have been doing is um working on uh, the last book in the trilogy. I have commissioned the covers. I've just seen the first drafts of, of the vampire series. I think maybe I said that last week. I can't remember. They're going through another iteration. I am changing the slide decks, tweaking, coloring differences, all of these kinds of things, branding, p- pulling them all into um, a course branded Sasha thing now. <laughs> Well done, Sasha. What a word. Like, really good description. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so yeah, that is my week. And that was a little bit of a longer um, intro than normal. But I really thought that it's been an interesting... I think it's... I think it's... I'm always interested when somebody goes full-time, like, and what shifts happen and, like, the the kind of inner journey that they go on. So maybe you're interested. And if you're not, oh, well, skip forward. Okay, Rebel of the Week is Eden. Eden says, I have two cat boys, Grogu and Praytel, who came into the world rather rebelliously. The story begins about two years ago when the friend of my older brother in London asks him to keep an eye on their new cat for a couple of days. She is a beautiful, sweet, uh, little, if slightly portly, house cat. Emphasis on house cat. Oh, God. Called Honey. (laughs) My brother, being the good friend and animal lover that he is, naturally agrees and his friend goes off uh, to wherever they were going and he's left alone with the cat. Later that evening, my brother notices that Honey is acting a bit oddly, meowing and pacing around the place before settling down. Thinking that if Honey was still acting strangely, he'd take her to the vet in the morning, my brother went to sleep. He was awoken the next morning by the sound of meowing, 
or rather the sound of multiple meowings. Thinking that a cat from outside may have come in from outside, he raced towards the sound and to his surprise found that Honey had given birth to five kittens, two of which he later gave to me. Quite how a house cat who'd never been outside had so miraculously conceived, or in fact, who the father cat was, was never discovered. Although it's clear that she wasn't as sweet or as innocent as she appeared. <laughs> that is hilarious. She's a little slutty house cat. <laughs> oh my God. I love that she like broke out of the house just to get laid. <laughs> Like, what a cat. Amazing. Uh, I'm sure there are lots of pussy jokes I could be making here and I'm trying very hard not to. Okay, if you would like to be Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. You can email your Rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to those who have sent some in recently. We have had a couple. We still need more. We are still low, so please do keep sending them in. No new patrons this week, but thank you to all my existing patrons. I really do appreciate your support. You help to make me feel like what I'm doing is worthwhile and you help to keep the show running. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus content, you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Okay, that is it from me this week. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by my Michael Evans. Michael is the author of a dozen sci-fi thriller novels and two non-fiction books for authors looking to get ahead in the new age of publishing. He is also the co-founder and CEO of Ream, the subscription platform by fiction authors for fiction authors and a student at Harvard University. Hello and welcome. I'm very excited to be here. That was a very generous introduction. <laughs> Hello. Well, thank you for joining me. Harvard is like that's like the top school that everybody wants to go to, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, part of part of we could maybe touch on how I, I ended my way there, but uh, very grateful to be there, and it's definitely taught me a lot about a lot of different things, and it's a cool place. I, well, I'd love to hear how you how you ended up at Harvard. Yeah, tell me your journey. Tell me tell me your journey, to, like how you got to where you are today in terms of like Ream and authoring and everything. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, like when. I was 13, I feel like is when my journey as an author began and I didn't realize it, but I've always been a storyteller, which is the story every author gives, but it's totally true. Like I would write fan fiction before I knew what fan fiction was. Cause I didn't really use the internet as a kid. So I didn't know like other people wrote fan fiction, but I was writing fan fiction of series like, um, Captain Underpants. Yeah, that Love was it. what I did. This was, this <laughs> was like elementary school, Michael. Right. But as I got to middle school, two, two things happened. One, I read Divergent Hunger Games and I absolutely loved it. I was like, oh, I'm totally Whoa, whoa, obsessed. whoa. Hang on. Let's stop right now and talk <laughs> about the ending because I loved Divergent right up yeah. until the end. How did you feel about the ending? Because this is going to like dictate the rest of this conversation. <laughs> I mean, I personally didn't like it. And this oh, is what- Oh, thank God. <laughs> and th this was part of what inspired me to be like, creating like my own world because I got to the ending and I was first of all very disappointed and then I discovered like fan fiction online because I started looking up like how other people felt about the ending because I'm like this is genuinely painful and then a bunch of people had written like their own endings like fan fiction online. I was like oh that's so cool but then I was like wait if like other people are just kind of like writing endings to Veronica's work which is like super cool like I guess I could just write my own story and like why not like I felt confident because I saw other people doing it that like mm -hmm. I could start to write and at the same time, 
family wise, my parents have been divorced for a long time, but I had found out that um, my dad, he had an addiction to sports gambling. And when I found that out, it very much affected my relationship with just my life, my family, and I needed something to cope. And for me, that was storytelling. So I kind of just started writing every night, just habitually, I like needed to do it. And then wrote a book on accident. I just kind of realized, oh, like it's 70,000 words. I looked up, how long is a novel? I feel like this is a novel. Mom, I wrote a book. But again, didn't really think about publishing it because I was just not not at a stage in my life where I thought it was even possible. Like I didn't believe in myself that someone else could read my book. My grandma was the only person who really read my book, which I love I love my grandma and I was very grateful for that. But when I turned 15, I had actually written a second book in that series. And I think I saw a commercial or something like that for self-publishing and then stumbled into Joanna Penn's podcast and then realized, wait, anyone can publish a book online. It's actually possible. So that was like the genesis of the journey of like, oh, I could become a creator. And I'm a very obsessive person. So I think since that moment, which was just over six years ago to this point today, I have not stopped learning and being involved in like storytelling online and, and one faster or another. And I guess the short story of how I got, got into Harvard was I wrote 12 books before graduating high school. I guess I was very obsessive. So I think that helped and I got good grades. So I was very grateful to get in. But after getting in, I did YouTube, um, traveled the country live streaming for a startup uh, that the first president of Facebook started called Airtime. And then that got me interested in, okay, there's one, new technologies being built for creators that are very interesting. And two, there's an opportunity for authors, where my passion was, to be able to take the tools and learnings that other people in the creator economy are utilizing, YouTubers, Twitch streamers, and actually apply it to building our own communities and kind of taking this industry forward. So then that's what brought me to Ream, which is where I'm at today. And I'm about to enter my senior year of college and been working on Ream for about a year and a half now, um, which how I actually got into Ream specifically was I got interested in a bunch of publishing technology companies and I started hitting them up. I wanted to work for them. I wanted to potentially even found one of them. So I was just like networking and contacting people I thought were doing interesting things. And that brought me to Amelia, who was the lead author or was becoming the lead author for your serial fiction app. Um, and when we met, she was talking about her issues with Patreon and how she had her husband building like a, a version on the own website for her. And I was like, oh, that's super cool. But like, why don't we make this a platform for all authors and like build build the subscription platform by fiction authors for fiction authors? So that's the full story. It's, it's not too short, but um, it, it's a roundabout way of saying I, I love storytelling. This is always what I've done. And I've just always taken the next big risk and it's gotten me here. What are you studying at Harvard? Uh, history of science, because I'm a science fiction author. So I love thinking about like the sociology of technology. So as well as like being a history of science major, you are writing and publishing, building a uh, platform for authors and you must be able to code or something if you like taught yourself coding or like, <laughs> no, no. are you I, actually human? I mean, that is no, really I, the question. Very much human. And actually <laughs> I, I should be clear, like I, I wrote 12 books. I'm not actively writing fiction now. Okay. Um, the last book I wrote actually has remained unpublished because I kind of had a whole burnout after going through YouTube, live streaming, working on startups and kind of like questioning the whole world and where it was going and this whole creator economy. I was like, it, it was just so, so tough for like our mental health as creative people. And I knew I wanted to just find my own way in it. And 
I just returned back to writing through that, but then got morbidly like existential again when I realized like, wait, I want to publish my books, but the existing indie ecosystem didn't feel like it fit for me. Traditional publishing was something I considered dark moment, totally backed out of that after talking to numbers of agents and going to conferences and being like, wait, this isn't for me either. So I realized there's this new generation of, you know, self-publishing being an indie author that I call the creator economy, which very simply, because I know I say that word now, like probably four or five times, it's taking power away from publishers, retailers, and platforms and saying, you as the author, you are the platform, right? And if you are the platform, that that can mean sometimes you're directly selling to your readers. Um, that could mean sometimes that you're entering in to just a different mindset when you work with existing discovery platforms. But at the end of the day, I wanted to build my fan base and my community. And I didn't feel like there was a great place to do that outside of, I, I admired the huge fandoms that like Divergent had and Hunger Games had. And I was wondering like, how could I build that at like my realistic scale? Like I, I'm probably not going to create the next Hunger Games, right? So that was the- Don't say the that. Of it all. You might. I mean, I might, but like not, you know what I mean? This is the self-doubt, you know. No, no, every- no. No time for that bullshit. Okay. Full confidence. Full confidence. Full confidence. Yeah. All right. Well, I still realize that at the end of the day, for me, having my income controlled by other platform and my creativity, um, sometimes feeling like I always had to create for an algorithm or for some other middleman besides really what the readers wanted was at the core what was messing things up for me. And I actually mentioned earlier that my dad was a gambler. And what was interesting is that I have a very similar, you know, kind of act for taking risks and almost like this addiction to adrenaline. So for me, and I don't think I'm the only author alone in this, the numbers that this industry throws on us became very toxic for me. And it made me feel like I needed to have something else to ground me in this because I would get very caught up in ads and CPC. And I love, I love that stuff. You can find discovery there, but it would get to the point where I'd obsess over it. And would actually like while I was writing, be thinking about how my ads were performing, right? And it was like when I got to that stage that I realized there has to be a healthier way for me specifically to approach this. Do you know your Clifton strengths? I, I I'm just gonna sound horrible. I'm sorry, Becca. Sorry, Becca Sam. No, um, don't I, do it to me. <laughs> I, I'm about to do it. Oh no, I've never, I've never taken the Clifton strengths test. Or the last time I took it was probably like in high school, and it was so long ago that I forgot. You need you need to do it. I would be fascinated to know what your strengths are. I I I would love you to email me one day if you ever take your strengths because I would love to know what they are. Um, I think you're incredible. By the way, let me just say that to be like a baby. Are you are you are you an adult in America yet? Are, how old are you? I'm, tw- I'm 21, so I'm able you are to. an adult. You know, okay, cool. I'm a full adult here. You're a full, yes. full adult in America. I mean, you've been an adult for like three years in the UK, but um, I think you are incredible. You have had an amazing journey, and like fucking hell, what a lot of achievements to to have under your belt at 21. So let me just say that I, you know, I can't wait to see what you do in this industry in in 10 years time. I think I think you've got a path set for stardom. But um, okay, so let's talk about um, the creator economy. So that's a concept that I heard of through Ally funnily enough um and uh it's kind of like one of these hot topics hot words but not everybody listening may have actually heard of the creator economy so i know you sort of started to explain and allude to like a definition a minute ago but could you go into a bit more detail and start by explaining like what is your personal definition of the creator economy and more importantly why is it important that indie authors should be paying attention to it yeah no 
so first of all, I love that you preface it with my personal definition because I would feel bad getting up here and be like, well, this is the creator economy. Like everyone has their own perception, but I think there's a lot of truth to what I'm about to say, which is that the platform economy is what we're shifting from. And the platform economy was where the entire internet has revolved around, I mean, we could basically in the indie publishing world name like really one company, but let's maybe expand it to 10, 10 at most, right? And the kind of bargain we made, the business relationship we entered with as creators in this platforms was you get rights to our customers, all of our data, and we get to publish and have easy discovery, or that was the idea. And I think that those platforms, the creator economy is not saying those platforms die. That's one really important thing. And it's not saying that when the age of the platform economy ends, Amazon dies, the retailers die. Instead, it's saying that we're going to move into a world of and. And the business that we build as independent authors will be utilizing these platforms in very intelligent ways for discovery and acquisition of new customers. But that at the end of the day, these large monolithic platforms, we're seeing a move away from not only from creators, but from readers, from people who love stories. And they're craving now smaller communities where they can engage with fellow fans, can engage with authors and support really local businesses in a different context, local in the sense that maybe not local to your street, but local to your passions, identity, and the things you care about in the world. And the, at the core of it, the creator economy, again, is a shift in that shift in power from the platforms to the creator and the creator becoming their own platform, the author becoming their own platform. Well, why is this valuable? I'd say there's three big reasons why this is valuable for authors. And the first one is the most important one, which is you can make more money doing this. And this isn't like a hypothetical if, ooh, it's all these platforms have purposefully capped the lifetime value of your customers. In KU, it's a half a penny per page read on a very good month. I hope it gets back there for the sake of KU authors and for the sake of this community, because I... Every program where writers can make money is a good thing. Um, but but still, that right? Half a penny per page read. Amazon caps how much you can sell your ebooks for. And a lot of retailers have similar kind of pricing mechanisms. This is very beneficial from a discovery standpoint because it makes it so that every fan pays the same amount for a book. So a new fan, a cold fan who doesn't know your work can come in, still you can generate an income from them and still, you know, you can make it all work. That's great. But the problem is that that income is not always enough. And for a lot of writers, because of inflation, because sometimes the the real rate, never mind the inflation adjusted rate of income you're making on these platforms is going down. There's a necessity to say, okay, well, there isn't just unlimited readers in the world. This is a tough uh, thing to say, but there just isn't. Like There's a cap number of readers and a lot of them are already using the internet. Ebooks, the ebook market is still growing but it's not growing as rapidly as it was at all. Audiobooks are growing rapidly now, but let's say five years from now, the likelihood of audiobooks still growing rapidly is not as high. No, that's not a bad thing. We're entering a more mature market, right? Where these platforms have agglomerated so much consumer attention. There's so much consumer attention online now that it's like, well, where can it go? Facebook's trying to get us to live inside of a VR headset. Apple's trying to do that. So these big companies face the same problem. As authors, that problem trickles down where it's like, well, wait, we have to figure out a way to adapt when we're not in a market of limitless growth, essentially, right? How can we, when the rules of publishing have changed, still be able to make a living? And the answer is 
to be able to provide your super fans with more value, very similar to how the music industry works, where the music industry, right, they had a similar crisis with like at a much larger scale, but their income went to nothing. And it was like, how do I make a living as a musician when I can't sell CDs or, or sell tapes to make a living? Royalty weights went down to zero with Napster. That's slowly kind of gone back up. But you see concerts, right? What are concerts? At their core, they're a place to give super fans a place to come together, experience more from that creator, and come together as a community. And I and I know this sounds crazy as an analogy, but the author industry, what we're seeing is authors providing things like early access to their work, providing things like bonus content, creating special editions of their book. And you're seeing them fund this in different business models, whether it's Kickstarter, whether it's subscriptions, whether it's direct sales on their own website, this is becoming more popular. And that is a future that will continue to, especially for authors who are right now making a living on the platforms, be more valuable. So especially to authors who are like, I'm already making six figures a year, or I'm making close to that, I'm making a full-time living, this is gonna become a bigger revenue stream for you. The second thing is just that more control. This is the the big one too that's hard to sometimes grasp, but more control of your business hedges your bets. But one platform goes down, this platform goes down. Having control of your customer data, their emails, um, that sort of sales channel is huge. That's what the creator economy is about. Ultimately, direct fan support, direct fan support. And the third thing that's important is that it allows you to switch up your business model, switch up what you're doing, in a way that might not be what is optimized for a specific platform. Like maybe you are shifting away where you used to be able to publish a book a month, but that's becoming less sustainable for you. So maybe you need to figure out a new way to kind of make the business work through the creator economy, having more direct fan support, different ways for them to experience your content where you could still make a living, but maybe not have the same output. These are all like the three pillars of it. So, like we're going to, talk, I'm going to ask you more about community, um, but I'm just going to tangent already um, because I find what you're saying interesting. Um, community, like I, I have a rebel community, um, and so I'm interested in how much, like, let's say an author's time, 100% of an author's time. How much of her time do you think they should be spending writing versus building community versus engaging with community versus nurturing and managing and delivering content and extra stuff to the community? Because because community is incredible and it is the foundation of platform and it is the foundation of a business and of like sustainable long, long-term success, but it is also an enormous amount of time. So like for somebody who's also a parent of a young child who also may have a full-time job, you know, may also want to be writing, marketing and building community. Like where do you, where do you see the proportions of time? Yeah, I think the proportions of time are, you're not taking away writing time to spend time on community. I would say that it's a repurposing of your marketing time and to think about CUNY as if you're marketing. That's how I would think about it. Now, I first will just quickly define community. I define community, and I got this from a book called The Business of Belonging. So I'm kind of stealing their definition because I loved it so much. But a community is owning a space in someone's mind. That's it. Owning a space in someone's mind. And the, the key thing to know about that, if that's what community is, the best way to do that is by creating an amazing story for a target audience that they just 
like they can't you you own you like we're talking about hunger games divergent right like you own that in your mind where like we read the book 10 years ago and we're still talking about it like that's the kind of experience still pissed (laughs) off but like you got to the third book and you finished it so that that like that is something right do you know it's still the only book i've thrown across the room i I had to go back and reread that ending because i didn't like it took me until we got to the other characters chapter for me to be like wait that was real that act i thought it was like a joke like it was such a that's such a good example though of when you get your meta story wrong which is the meta story is right like the overarching feeling that your readers are coming back to you story after story a lot of times when authors to me are like hey well i write in multiple genres but like what is my brand i like to think about the meta story and it's like well no you have something here most likely that's a basically a shared journey a transformation that these characters are going through this overarching theme through all of your stories, right? And that meta story has a desired payoff in the end. Like if your meta story is like friends banding together to beat the 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 evil guy, right? And that could think about how many genres that could apply to. I could take that meta story and bring it to probably almost any genre. But imagine if in the end the friends die or the leader of the friends, like, you know what I mean? Like that would ruin everything. And why I say like, I'm being dramatic, but I'm really not. The reader trusted you to deliver on that meta story. They trusted you. It, and it when was, you got to the end, you killed that trust. Like you, it was one of the things that drove me to write because I was so fucking furious. I mean, I was literally livid. And like, I'm still scarred from the rage that I felt at the end of that that series because I, I just couldn't believe it. One thing I wanted to come back on, the business of community. Who do you know? Do you suppose you remember who wrote it? David Spinks. He's a great author. It's a very intense book thinking about CUNY. And you know, why I'll talk about CUNY as marketing, because I we went on a little tangent, but we I think did. it's very important to to ground that, right? Like the story really is important. It's the most important thing. But community is marketing is, and in fact, there's actually, I need to get the book name, but it's by an author. Oh, I'm going to forget the author name, but it's called why, the subtitle is why community is the last great marketing strategy. And the entire book is about how paid ads effectiveness have drastically gone down right? And that consumers have less trust in ads, people are overwhelmed with ads. And the real way to build a business, no matter what the business is, is to build a relationship with your customer through a community. So CUNY is the last great marketing strategy. And it got me to think about CUNY in very different contexts, all these books. And I want to provide these three different contexts to, to everyone here. So you, you can have three different kinds of CUNY as an author. One of them you don't spend any time on, you don't control one of them you control, but it's not your community. And a third one is your community. What do I mean by this? Okay. The first community is thinking about a space where fans belong. The Our biggest mistake is thinking about a space where fans belong as our Facebook group or as our Discord server, or as you know, people are talking about Circle and Geneva and Mighty Networks more and platforms like that, right? Our biggest mistake is saying that a tool used to bring people together, just software, right? That's all it is, is our community. No, no, no. Your community is real people and real relationships. Those relationships can form anywhere. And oftentimes they will form in roofs that you can't control. So if you create a powerful enough story and encourage your fans to engage online, use specific hashtags on TikTok, you know, go and reblog on Tumblr, whatever the platform that your readers are most likely using, they're going to form their own community, right? And that's not a bad thing. That's a community you don't have to police because your stories did the hard work of creating the space of belonging. That's one kind of community. And it's important. And that's one that you really don't have to spend much time on. It's just a little bit of nurturing and maybe some emails, really. The second thing 
and this one's important, is CUNY is an acquisition strategy. This one we don't think about. This is the one we utilize the least. And this is one pillar of marketing because these the two types of CUNY activities authors engage are marketing. The first one though, acquisition. So what we often see is authors will immediately go, I got to set my own Facebook group and I'll brand it as like, uh, I don't know, I have Michael Evans Reader Group. I'll use my name. That's better. So Michael Evans Reader Group, right? Well, I have no fans right now. Like let's let's pretend I have no fans. I really don't have a huge book audience compared to so many authors, which every author says that in the world, but I really mean that. Um, so let's say you have this Michael Evans Reader Group. Well, who's going to be interested in joining the Michael Evans Reader Group? Someone who already is a reader of Michael Evans. Okay, that's great. Except if I'm in the beginning of my journey. That really doesn't have any use for me. And a lot of times you need to have a lot of people in the community. When I say a lot, I'm saying like 40, 50 to really gain ground in community. But that's not a small feat. No, I think 50 is. I noticed when I surpassed 50 patrons, it starts self-generating like conversation and things like that. It is a real point, a real shifting point, I think. Yeah, it's a little awkward with only a few people. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't launch a community in the beginning, but you should know the purpose of it. And there might be a better way at that stage of your career to invest your time in CUNY building, which is CUNY's for acquisition. What do I mean by this? Well, think about building a CUNY like this. What space can I build that readers of a specific genre or who enjoy things that are similar to my brand promise, which genre is a very good proxy for that. Genres we use to package brand promises most of the time. I write, you know, dark romance. A lot of readers understand that. Of course, there's like 20 or 30 subgenres, at least within dark romance, but for simplification, I'll just say dark romance, right? Now, if I created a group for dark romance readers, now I can have anyone who joins the group who's interested in dark romance in general want to be a part of that. And I create a belonging for that big set of readers. And now some of those readers will become mine, right? And some of those readers will become other authors' readers because we all get to win together. That's the thing in this. So community as an acquisition strategy is important. Does that mean everyone should run off and start their own Facebook group for dark romance readers? No, it might be engaging in communities, engaging in spaces in which fans already are in a, in a tasteful way. Maybe there's already communities that exist that you can then utilize for your own acquisition strategy. This does not mean going in and pubbing your book. This means running a book club. This means actually taking the time to build trust in readers so that they go, oh, wow, I think this person's book is awesome. The best way to build trust, again, is a reader recommending another reader to read your book. But to get that momentum, right? The other kind of community, though, is an author-owned community. And this is so underutilized because we oftentimes obsess over finding new readers, obsess over it. And we don't spend time marketing to our existing fans. And I don't mean just selling them and selling them. Like, it's not about that. But I mean about nurturing them and keeping them in our existing worlds keeping them so that when they read book one, read book two, read book three, we're going to stay top of their mind so that they continue recommending our books to fans, so that they are there for our next series, no matter what it is. Marketing to our existing fans, CUNY is a great strategy for that. And that's kind of how I think about it. Like you're, you're marketing regardless. And maybe, maybe if Facebook ads or Amazon ads aren't as effective for you right now, and you've been spending all your time running this new ads platform, maybe instead repurpose that time towards either an acquisition-based CUNY or a CUNY based on your existing fans. So what does a community 
on existing fans look like like what what are some because I know you work with lots of authors lots of fiction authors too because I think it's a lot easier for us to envisage what a community looks like for a non-fiction author because often they're problem solving often they're providing resources to help um you know their audience do certain things so what does it look like for a fiction author what are some successful examples what is it that they're doing that you think is really nurturing those communities i'll give one really good example i i could probably name way too many but actually uh you said we we basically only work with fiction authors like i don't work with non-fiction authors very rarely like i i love you non-fiction authors but we i focus almost everything we do on fiction authors um so with Christopher Hopper, he is an author who used to be in KU. He just went wide. Um, he kind of gone through a little shift, but he has sci-fi readers. He actually, uh, J.N. Chaney, he kind of got in co- co-authoring with him on a few books and then started writing his own titles. Um, Christopher Hopper's a fantastic writer. And how he built his community is called the Hyperspace Guild in a specific, just a Facebook group. And he has 250 people in there, which is which is impressive, but also like, I've seen a lot of Facebook groups that have 10,000 people in it and are dead for specific authors. This one's active. Now, why is it active? What is he doing in there? Well, I'll first tell you the result of this because I think telling the result will then make what I'm about to say feel worth it, which is that he started a subscription, a membership where readers pay him monthly to basically support him to get early access to what he's doing. And he basically marketed it to his community. And I I told you there's 280 people. So it's not a ton of people in this community, but that membership's generating him over $2,000 a month now. So small group of people, meaningful amount of income, right? Not all of them have converted from this free Facebook group, but you, know, you don't need all of them to convert to something like that. So what is he doing? He he has taken the relationship building approach. And I'm going to take massive inspiration from the lovely Becca Sign because she breaks it down, I think, into three interesting business models that are helpful for thinking about community frameworks for authors. He has the relationship building framework. You get to know him, Right. That is very uncomfortable for a lot of authors. I'm going to mention the other two frameworks in a minute. But how he did this was basically just responding to his readers' emails. He gets all their phone numbers as a requirement to be part of the group and calls them. Actually what? calls them. That, that sounds wild, but he calls them Fuck, and they are like- so fucking hard. I do not pick up my phone ever in a minute. If my fucking phone rings, I will lob it across the room before I ever pick it up. I The, the fact that I do it. this podcast is like- like a complete enigma to me because I will not call anybody. I will not allow anybody to call me. I just hate the phone. I hate it. I hate the device. Like I am uncomfortable hearing. (laughs) I get my wife to ring people that we have to ring. Like if, if our friends, like our friends will ring me because I do the organizing for our family and I will hand the phone to my wife. (laughs) I, I feel that. Like, I I keep feel that. And and his model is not the representative model that I think would work for maybe 80 plus percent of authors. But I it's a fascinating one. He calls them. I could just, can you just give me more information about this because I am flummoxed. So if you go to Christopher Hopper, like I'm I'm totally like, I have no relationship to him. So I hope it's okay to mention his link. Christopher Hopper. Well, I should say, but I love Christopher Hopper, but I'm not. ChristopherHopper.com. You go there. Yeah. Sound, yeah. He... You can see his onboarding form for his mailing list and all the things that you have to enter. You have to enter your address to be on his mailing list, just to get on his mailing list. You have to give him his address and he will send you a poker chip. So this is part of how he's built a CUNY. The readers then get the poker chip that's connected to his stories and it's pretty cheap to send. And he sends this to free to anyone who subscribes. 
And then they start taking pictures of it in the Facebook group and sharing it as they travel. They'll take the poker chip with them, right? And then Christopher, he just does cute things. Like he'll sing happy birthday when it's his reader's birthdays, you know, like, and it's not like he has like some crazy content strategy. He's just being a likable, really good person. And his readers, like there's one reader that I asked explicitly, like, hey, tell me how you got involved in this. Like, cause he's now like a super fan of Christopher and started off as not a fan at all. So I'm like, how did, how did this happen? And he shared with me his fan journey. And he, you know, he read the book, he loved the book. And then he like went to this guy's website. He's like, this guy's asking for my phone number, whatever. He put in a fake phone number. Christopher Hopper then emails him and be like, hey, you know, really happy to see your interest in joining the Hyperspace Guild, but this phone number looks suspicious. Are you sure it's a real phone number? And then the reader, he responds and is like, uh, okay, here's my phone number. Uh, and then Christopher actually calls him. And that's okay. when he was like, this, this guy's different, right? But I said the key words, this guy's different. We're all different. What did Christopher Hopper do? He played to his strengths beautifully. He built a community that was sustainable for him. And for him, that is what's sustainable. And you might be thinking, that sounds insane. What does he talk about on the phone? What is that? I don't, I'm very stuck. I'm fixated on this thing. (laughs) It's like, uh, you know, you'll have to have Christopher Hopper on the podcast, but you know, he, he will, he will call readers up and he'll be like, Hey, you know, I don't want to like totally speak for him, but like, it's pretty simple. It's like, Hey, you know, how's it going? How, thank you for being a reader of my books. And they just seize the reaction. And then it's like, Hey, welcome to the hyperspace. It's a very simple conversation. It's not like he's on with them for a half hour or anything like that, but like those are the things he does. And okay. So, so that sounded wild, right? You're like, Michael, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, please like... no. But I'll tell you some authors who are doing this model because there's different variations of it. So EJ Frost is another author who she has a book club and as an author has a basically a monthly meeting where some of her readers meet, they pay $25 a month to be part of it. And they all have specific roles in the club. So there's like a mistress of toys. There's a mistress of other things. There's, there's lots of mistresses of, you can tell the genre already, right? Um, and then there's even a mistress who like leads the the leading and meeting. And mind you, you're going, are these like 20 year old girls in here? Like who would be interested in this? No, no, these are like actually all this very shared demographic. All the people who joined this are women in their maybe 40s and 50s who've had a divorce since the pandemic. That is the, every single person basically fits that. The attendance rate of this meeting is 100%. And here's the kicker. And this is why CUNY is really valuable. In a post-COVID era where the digital world has broke down a lot of our social institutions, CUNY is becoming a new social institution for people. This is where they're meeting their friends. This is this is where they're like having a fun night out literally on these calls. And I won't say, I won't spoil it. Well, I'll spoil it a little bit. They do drink on some of these calls in EJ's context. You don't have to do this every other. But like, it's I fun. run so poison she- and prose as part of my community. We have poison and and the poison is like alcohol. So yeah. like, I get it, right? Yeah, like, right. I so like, yeah. that's the idea. So, okay, that's one model. But the two other models, and I'll be very quick about this because th- th- those are the interesting stuff that like people, I always like trying to expand people's minds of what they think is possible. Like though, there are things possible that you don't even know. Maybe that's not right for you. Well, here's another model authors who are very focused on the world building side of things. I'm not going to build a relationship with you with me. <laughs> like I don't want that, but instead I'm going to have my characters be the ones 
who you're engaging with. So I'll create a Facebook profile for my character and I'll write notes from that character. I'll create newsletters written from the perspective of that character, right? So you're building the relationship deeper, not with the author, but with the character. You can then do that with the world, right? This is all world building. So then you could do things of that nature. And then the, the third type of business, and again, I'm taking inspiration from Becca Syme here. So thank you, Becca, for this framework because it helped me think through this. The third one is having a content-driven business. And this is what we've seen primarily be what we all talk about, where the best way to build a relationship with your readers is another book, another book, another book. And to keep up with that, you've got to be writing. It depends, but usually six to 12 books a year is what we see. If you're just looking to build a CUNY through your main content of your stories, you're probably writing a lot. So these two other methods, building relationships with your characters and your world through bonus content, maps, travel guides, I could, I could go on about recipe guides for your world. That's one way to engage your readers deeper or engage them deeper with yourself. If I'm being honest, after talking to hundreds of authors, I know which one 80% of people are more comfortable with, engaging deeper with their worlds and their characters. And guess what? That's beautiful. That's oh, beautiful. Fuck that. No, I can't do that. I Engage with me. <laughs> but I'm a people, I like, I, like, I like community for the connection that I make with people. So like, I, I and also just because like, I don't know. I'm super tired. So the thought of writing 12 books a year is no thanks. Um, this, I find I'm, this is so interesting. I am upset that we only have an hour. Um, okay. So let's, oh my God, I don't even, this is, this is just so much. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk about, um, let's talk about monetizing community because yeah. often as creatives, we have this like existential crisis trying to even sell a $4 book. And I don't know why so many of us struggle to like even, you know, feel comfortable saying my book is $4. Like that is the price at which, you know, I, you know, that I'm trying to market it at. Um, and a community is generally speaking quite considerably more expensive than that. So Talk about monetizing it. How do we do it authentically? How do we do it and feel comfortable with the value that we're providing? How do we do it and understand what things um, would sit at, say, a $25 level versus a $5 level versus like a $100 level? Like, how do we talk to me about the money side of it? Yeah, it's a really important side of it. And I think that the first biggest thing is to recognize your limiting beliefs recognize where you feel what what's not possible in your mind and why and i would i would even recommend if you're really struggling with this you can reflect on it like literally write it down i believe that you know readers won't pay me ten dollars because of x and what i encourage you to do is work through those beliefs by recognizing something which is that the readers that you are serving one are not a monolith so not everyone's going to join your community and everyone's going to engage at the highest, highest level of your community. And that's okay. That's actually very normal. That's expected. And two, you are not always your reader in every single context. Maybe you like reading similar books, but how you value that's different. Here's another key thing. Super fans do not equal money. I wrote a blog post on this on Scriptions for Authors website, but the main takeaway, the, the key takeaway is that your fans value your work. We have so much struggles as authors sometimes feeling like we're worthy enough, like our work is good enough. Your work to someone who loves it is so valuable, but here's the kicker. Not everyone values it with 
well, the currency of money. Instead, they may value your work and show that value in different ways. Now, they're still hopefully, you know, I'm not saying they're pirating your work. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the fan might pay four or five dollars for a book and be like, okay, I want to support this author more. I want to be involved more. But instead of like, you know, maybe joining that $25 tier, and I'll talk about the tier prices in one minute, but the the big point before that is they might instead want to recommend your books online. They may mm-hmm. instead tell every friend about it. They might start a book club based on your books, right? That's invaluable amazing. as well. It's invaluable. So yeah. what community is not about saying everyone pays me money and community no. is not about, you know, it's about saying that your fans will reward you in different ways and trying to foster that. Well, but when and sorry, I just, yeah, a hundred percent agree. And I think this is why having products as an author at different price points is so important. Like that's why yeah. I've got some things in KU, some things not in KU, some things that are higher priced. And there's even things that like, I think, so like today, for example, and I won't say who it is, but there is a reader who um, I think read the first one in KU and then was an arc reader for the second one of this new pen name. And they can't, um, they can't buy physical copies. And, and like, I have seen them mentioned so many times how much they want physical copies. So I, I've said, just sent one, I've sent one to say thank you. Right. Because it's not always about the yeah. readers providing like paying f- for everything. It, it's, you know, the fact that I know they've done X number of videos, or I know that they've told this person or that person, or I've seen a comment of theirs on somebody else's video recommending my book like that. I want to say thank you for that. You know, like that is the the value of readers. And I think I, yeah. So I, what I'm saying is I agree with everything that you're saying. Yeah. I think that's just the biggest caveat. Cause a lot of, you know, and, and we're on the same page, but it's just, yeah. important that I, I'm glad that I'm glad that you everyone knows that right but here's the thing about monetizing community because it with all this said you know it is important to have like you said different ways that fans can pay you so the first thing i would say is that think about and hopefully disney doesn't you know copyright this but think about it like your own mini disney it's the best way i can describe it right you're building your own amusement park as an author when we look at media businesses built before us before indie authors they make Disney makes about a third of their revenue from content. The you know the the analogy that is having you know that be book sales, right? They make another third of the revenue from merchandise sales and other kind of consumer packaged goods and products. Then they make the last third of their revenue from theme parks, which is like these fan experiences. And obviously, most authors won't be able to build something literally Disney sized and be able to buy like a whole town in Florida. You know what I mean? Like that's awesome. And like mad respect if you can do it. I can name examples of creators doing things actually not that dissimilar. Danny Duncan's one who creates for a very different audience than most readers and most authors do, but he's doing something like that. So if you want to look it up, Danny Duncan, but regardless of that, as an author though, you can think about, oh, in this digital world, I can create something very similar to a theme park like experience. And now if I'm thinking about the value proposition in that context, and if I'm thinking about the value proposition in the context of like what Disney charges for merchandise, I can start to better have comps for my pricing because I can tell you your work's valuable and I could drone on about that, but you need comps for this, right? So that's one big picture comp. And then another thing is like just looking at what other authors are doing, frankly, um, you know, because a lot of authors are doing this, but in short, if it's like, sign book, merchandise, physical goods that you're giving away that are custom. You see these Kickstarter tiers, you see these subscription tiers, they're like $50 plus because frankly, printing and shipping is that cheap. 
for digital experiences where you're giving fans greater access to you, voting rights in your world, um, bonus content, those are often well above $10, $25 for things that may involve like some one-on-one time or more curated environment of like, hey, I'm going to give a fan status in my community. I'm going to give them the, the role of the mistress of toys, whatever that means in your context, run with it. And then $100 plus is like, you know, those are high ticket items, right? You're not going to have most fans join that, but that's the really special stuff. Think like, you know, I'm going to go on and write this person, you know, uh, a, a custom a custom short story that I'll release to all my fans, but like they get to, they get to say, I want these characters in that way. Or in Christopher's Hopper context, maybe he has a half hour Zoom call with them. Or maybe in the context of an author who has all these books and so much content, they're sending them a signed book box, right? Whatever that is, that's like the big thing. So that's kind of how you tier it. You have then at the lower price level, the five or $10 level, that's like the more stuff that most people will be able to afford and maybe want to join. That's like, you know, access to your core content and your core library, access to whatever your core community is, right? The more, the staples. I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah, no, it is. So are there any other ways that you think we should um, expand our revenue? For 99% of authors, probably not. Um, That's like, that's just the hard truth up front. Like for a lot of like what I'm about to talk about, I because I think it's very fascinating to plant this idea, especially if you're like a six-figure seven-figure author listening, I think you need to be thinking this way. But if you're not a six or seven-figure author yet, take this as inspiration, but don't get drowned out in this, which is this, that as creators, think about where in the media business, where a lot of the revenue comes from. It's from advertising, right? And I'm we, we hate ads. In fact, as authors, we pay a lot of money to get our books through ads in front of people. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing. Trust, when someone trusts you, right? You can sell them so many different things connected to your worlds. And what we're seeing now is, and this is very popular in the YouTube space, very popular in the podcasting space, but there's no difference between YouTubers, podcasts, and Twitch streamers in terms of relationship with the fans. Like those fans who love a creator are willing to invest in, buy these different types of things. What are we seeing? Well, specifically for like romance authors, like imagine collaborating, and again, Think about who I'm talking with. I'm talking to six-figure and seven-figure authors here. Very important. Remember that. But my book business might not be around forever. That's a hard truth, but it's true. Like this is a tough industry. There's a lot of churn. Also, in terms of enterprise value, your IP is very worthwhile, but also a lot of what keeps the engine of an author business going is your time, your effort, and your energy. So like an exit in an author business, if you were to go and package up and sell your business one day, you have some assets. But if you want to think about like, there's a book, great book on this called 24 Assets. If you want to think about building the full, like diversified asset class of your business and really building true enterprise value, you want to think about what business can I build that's connected to my books, connected to my world, but that is actually divorced from my author brand. That's the key word, divorce my author brand. So what you see creators now doing is starting things like, literally, I'm going to start a makeup company. Imagine if the top 10 romance authors in the world right now collaborate on starting their own makeup company. What's an actual way you could start that? Because then you're like, Michael, I'm listening to this. I am a six or seven year author. And like, I don't know where to start. Like, that sounds crazy. There's literally companies like Piatra, P-I-E-T-R-A, where you can, and I'm very serious about this, you can start your own beauty line, cosmetics line, right like through 
using their site, using their fulfillment partners, using their software. And it's not any more expensive to get started than like $100 a month. Again, for a beginning author, not the not the move. But if you're making multi six figures a year and you want to collaborate and you're thinking about how can I really diversify my revenue streams, this is where YouTubers have made their big money. This is where people have really built like empires. And I think that is just a thing that I don't see really anyone talk about that I like to think about. Like, again, if I'm someone who's at the top of this industry, how can I build something that can uplift me and potentially collaborate with other authors? Let me give now a very concrete example. Dylan LeMay, he owns this ice cream shop called Catch an Ice Cream. He's a TikTok creator um, who creates videos about ice cream. And he collaborates with top creators where they each can have an ice cream flavor inside of his ice cream store. Wild. So now they, right, creators can partner with this operator, which is uh, you know, Dylan and his business partner, and have their own ice cream flavor they have the most valuable thing in the world, right? Distribution. If you're a creator already with an audience, you've already solved the discovery problem, then you've solved the hardest problem for so many different businesses, which is distribution. And the the core idea is if you've solved the core problem for so many different businesses, distribution and trust, then why not build the businesses that all these people want, you know, are trying to create? So you can go do these things. That doesn't mean everyone should start an ice cream company or a makeup company or all these things. But man, this is like, this is such a big trend that this is the next generation of business. Like we're going to see fortune 500 companies started by creators. This will be in 30 or 40 years time. We'll look back in this and be like, this was the next generation of brands. They were started by creators who had CUNYs online. So if you're an author with a CUNY online that's established, start thinking bigger because you are way more powerful than you like to think. As I like to say, storytellers were the world. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Okay, so I, I, I know this is probably a really hard question to be quick, but you mentioned burnout. Um, what is the biggest lesson you learned or took away about either resilience or sustainability or kind of mindset that sort of sent you into burnout and pulled you back out of burnout? I think the biggest mindset shift, and it really changed everything for me, was realizing that this isn't a sprint. It's not a sprint. And I so badly thought it was a sprint. I so badly thought that like I had to break out in a year. I'll tell you, when I when I graduated high school, I graduated a year early and my goal was to just like write books for a year at home. I had a full-time job at resort. And that's what I was using to like fund all of it. And my goal was basically like to get make 10 grand a month by the end of that year. And I was starting at basically zero. I had never marketed my books for, which is a crazy goal and to go from zero to that much in 12 months. But I thought like, you know, early adoption curve, more and more people are creating books every day. The, the opportunity window is closing. I have to get in now. This anxiety, right? By the end of that year, I had hit my peak of $1,200 a month. Yay, except you count in ad costs, when you count in cover costs and editing costs, there wasn't much profit there. And now let's be real here. $1,200 a month from zero to one year is great. And to say that, yeah, the business still isn't breaking even yet. Like, like that is, that is not bad. Like that, I should have been happy with that. But instead I was miserable. I thought it was horrible. I thought my, I thought I was a horrible writer. I ever, all these things. And I totally burned out from writing and I followed the same model and did the same thing with YouTube. Cause it's like, oh, well YouTube, I'll just blow up in a year. I thought I could go from zero to a million subscribers in one year and actually got to zero to 10,000 subscribers in about six weeks, except woo, that that I I tanked that. I tanked that because I was so obsessed about growth and subscribers that I forgot about all these things, the CUNY building, relationships with my fans, the long game. 
So if I had any advice to authors, because I've run this model a few times now, is you have to be in it for the long run and really build a sustainable mindset, production process that it won't last for weeks or months, but years. It doesn't mean you have to be a machine about it, but it does mean you have to realize that the best creator businesses, the best stories, the best series, the best fan bases takes years to build, years to nurture trust in. And man, if I had known that, I wouldn't have burned out because I would have had a totally different mindset. But instead, I was very caught up in this short-term sprinty mindset. And I'm only sharing this because I don't think I'm alone in that. 100%, you're not alone in it. I'm number one competition. There is nothing that I do slowly. <laughs> like, and it's a problem because I'm exhausted right now. But that's a whole different issue for my coach. Um, right, it, uh, and I'm throwing you at, I'm throwing this at you and you, you might not be able to, but I have a feeling you will. You've already given me two uh, book recommendations, which is The Business of Community and 24 Assets. If you were to gift an author, five books that would change their mindset, change their business marketing frame of reference, what five books would you recommend? And I'm asking because you're so interesting and you've already talked about several that I am. Um, clearly, I'm going to go and buy straight after this conversation. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll recommend, I'll recommend a few. So um, the story paradox by Jonathan Gottschall is what taught me that storytellers were the world. And that book changed my life. I read it exactly 19 months ago. And that was what made me realize that like, I wanted to basically at the time it wasn't called Ream at the time it wasn't a subscription platform for fiction authors, but that's what made me realize I wanted to do this because we needed infrastructure to support what he's talking about. And basically the, the subtitle of the book is that storytelling built civilization and is actively destroying it. And oh, wow. it is, it is wild. It is incredible. Story paradox by Jonathan Gottschall. So that's one, two, I really love the book, The Long Game by Dory Clark. It goes over what I was just talking about. And what I love about the book is that like, it's so applicable that it doesn't go really deep into the weeds of like any one industry. So like, if you're an author with a day job, which is probably most of us, it'll help you out with your whole entire life, like not just being an author. So The Long Game by Dory Clark, highly recommend. Um, two, two other book recs. So the other one that I think really for me, started to to change things in, in a big way was fans first by jesse cole it is it is so much fun like oh it is he's the owner of savannah bananas and if you haven't seen that baseball team on tiktok they they are like this whole fans first community building thing to like to the extreme so fans first by christopher hopper and then i will do this fans first whole... by christopher hopper do you mean Oh, Jesse sorry. Cole. I'm saying Jesse, uh, Jesse Cole. Cole. Yeah. You know what's so funny? Uh, he like, he, one, he's working on a nonfiction book right now. Uh, that's like more tailored to authors. That's not too dissimilar from the same thesis of fans first. And also he reminds me of Jesse Cole. Okay. <laughs> that's hilarious. I totally messed that up, but, but Jesse Cole fans first to be clear. Um, and then the last book I'd recommend is if you're looking for something really actionable and that's also free, I wrote a book called subscriptions for authors that you can download or listen to completely for free. It's a very quick read, like 120 pages that gives you kind of the start to finish of how to really monetize your community in a way that is beneficial and sustainable. So th those are four book recs on top of what I already recommended. Do we have the links to that? I don't know if I've got subscription. Is it on the main website subscription for authors? I'll send you the links to all, all the books just so okay. you have it and you can Great. put all of them in the description. Would you like to tell everyone, before I ask you the ultimate podcast question, a little bit about Reem, 
and the differences between Ream and Patreon, which might be like, I know a lot of people know about page wealth. There's a lot of patrons on here, but the differences between Ream and Patreon and um, where Ream is going and what it can do for authors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I, I love that like you have an audience that's familiar with Patreon because I could kind of easily uh, compare and contrast. So Ream has a social e-reader where one, you can upload and publish books on the platform, which you aren't able to do on Patreon. So readers can easily read those chapters and they can comment on each paragraph. So when I'm talking about cutie building, having your readers be able to communicate with one another, give you feedback and have that space that is really like a safe space to be able to communicate about your work is, is key. We make it very easy for you to publish chapters. So we have like a very robust scheduler that I actually created a 40 minute tutorial video on, which is really 14 different tutorials, one big tutorial. That sounds very overwhelming, but there's a lot to it in a good way, but it's very easy to use. You go in and you can schedule out a whole book um, for early access, bonus content, things like that, super easily. And we also have a community. Um, community section that enables you to make different posts, um, maybe character art, maybe you wanna share life updates, book release updates with your paying members. And, you know, that, that those are the core features of it. We're very friendly to steamy romance authors. If you are a romance author listening to this, Amelia Rose co-founded it with me and her husband. And one of the things she also faced on Patreon was some censorship. Uh, they would take down some of her stories. So we're we're very, very open and friendly to steamy romance authors. And basically like where we're going, I, I don't want to talk about far future because I'm big on under promise and over deliver and I can make promises. But honestly, our vision is to stick true to our community. We want to build the best platform for fiction authors to run a membership and connect directly with their fans. That's the vision. And we're going to stick true to that. And when I say connect with your fans, I literally mean you get their full control of refunds. You get all their emails, all that good stuff. But what we're doing next, and this is soon, um, depending on when this come out, it might already be live, is we're launching the ability for readers to be able to follow authors on Ream. And when a reader follows an author on Ream, they don't have to pay for the benefits. Authors can give away some free benefits. And the author will get their email. So you can follow Gata chapter so that in order to get it, you have to sign up and give them their email. So it's a very good way for you to be able to build out more of a sales funnel on Ream so that if you have a paid membership, a lot of people will see it and they're like, I'm not ready to join yet, but they might be ready to join for free. You get that email, you get greater control over that customer relationship and can hopefully nurture them so that maybe they're willing to be a paying subscriber one day. So that's the next big feature we're launching. Audiobooks are definitely on the roadmap for the next year as well. And a few a few more fun things. But yeah, that's that's Reem. Amazing. Well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, I, um, I was very determined to make it as a YouTuber. And I decided that I was going to crash this man's island. Uh, his name's Eric. Um, and was he was live streaming because he was hitting a million subscribers. He was live streaming on this party, uh, this island off the coast of Florida. And I kind of did a reverse image search in Google Maps and was able to find out exactly where the island was. And then we kayaked the island the day after Christmas because uh, that's when he was there. And we asked him for an internship and showed up with bathing suits in the bottom, suits on top, and our resumes. Um, this was my freshman year of college, like right after my first semester. Um, and it worked. And uh, 
I got featured in a video with him on YouTube. Uh, this is a rebel um, called, uh, and I was not the one who broke all these laws, okay? But I got featured in a YouTube video that has well over 10 million views now um, called Breaking 100 Laws in 24 Hours by Eric. That's A-I-R-R-A-C-K. And I gave him the bright idea to, you know, jump off the Santa Monica Pier, which I had done with him. I was going on a road trip and a bus for that part of my life. It was very wild, very crazy. But when I told you I was willing to do anything to make it as a creator, I wasn't kidding. I was doing really wild things that when I look back, like I was literally 18 then. Um, I, I hope I'm more mature now. But at the same time, it's a fun story. Don't and grow it was up. Don't a, a grow good up. Rebel. It's boring. <laughs> that's amazing. I absolutely love, love, love that rebellion. Like, I think that's incredible. Like, and also like the cojones on you to just like kayak across. The- <laughs> <laughs> my friend didn't know how to swim. Island. Oh my god! It was oh really bad. God. It was really, really bad. But it was really fun. This has been fascinating to talk to you. Um, are you going to Vegas? I will. I'll be at oh, Nick as well. I am going to collar you for a pint because uh, you're very interesting to talk to. So I'd love to to bend your ear. Um, Let's do it. Tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your services, books, anything really that you'd like to add. Yeah. I mean, the best place to start is joining our community, which is totally free to join at subscriptionsforauthors.com. You can find our Facebook group there. If you sign up for a mailing list, I'll send you a free copy of the book, but you don't need to sign up for the mailing list. You can find the book on all the retailers, the descriptions for authors one. Um, and yeah, that's a great place to start to learn more about subscriptions, meet, meet folks in the community. And then if you're interested in joining Reem, you can create a free account and check out the site at reamstories.com. And then my personal, um, if you want to read more about me, I have some weird blog posts that detail more of my road trip adventures that if you're interested in diving into and- yeah, it's fun. At M Evans Inc. I N K E D dot com. But yeah, that, that's everything for me. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Michael Evans, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm talking to one of my writing besties, Caitlin Duncan, all about systems for authors. Caitlin is a specialist. She works with mums who have published at least one book and helps to create publishing systems, life systems uh, for them to simplify and uh, what's the word? I want to say make better, but that's a terrible word. Basically, she makes everyone's lives better by systematizing uh, their life and productivity for them. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.